you're on the air. Don't say anything crazy. Hello, everybody. A very good day to all our listeners. And I am sat here with Brother Bear, Andre, and our guest, Jennifer Herring, who is a student of everything. And today we'll be bringing some very interesting insights and ideas on cult behaviors in North America and how this intersects with the world of urban planning. Hey! <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Jen. Hey! Jen, welcome to Bro Best Talk. Oh, How are you doing today? Thank you. I, I'm doing well. I had a long bike ride up a, a big hill in, in the foothills of Calgary, and now I'm ready to, ready to talk. And I'm, I'm interested that you, uh, that you called me a student of everything, because uh, I know that you have a format of which you bring experts onto this podcast and I am getting a master's in urban planning and I do have uh, a lot of experience just learning on my own about other various topics Mm -hmm. but I do come at a lot of these topics as if I am a novice because it's just one of those things you can never get good at you you always learn there's always more to learn and yeah to be an expert is to be done yeah exactly (laughs) there's there's always uh there's always more and more to learn and uh you know on Andre and I this is this sort of hits home this topic for us because as geographers, you know, we have um, a specific interest in urban planning and how architecture affects human behaviors and things like that. And I think it's going to be incredibly interesting to see how this intertwines with the world of cults and fringe religious movements and pyramid schemes and all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a very yeah. exciting couple of hours. Fantastic. I'm very interested how we're going to twine those two <laughs> tangents together <laughs> yeah planning a cult yeah yeah well uh we certainly have some experience of planning it it was light touch in geography yeah. but um it was always fascinating to me and i imagine with the advent of big data it's becoming kind of ever more evidence and analytics based um but yeah Jen, I'll let you talk about how we get from cults to planning <laughs> yeah so at the very i i feel like i should tell the story of how this all came to be, how I made this connection, because I I don't think it'll make sense if I give you the short version. (laughs) Um, Go the full nine yards, Jen. Yes. I want to hear it from start to finish. Fantastic. All right. So I have a very friendly face. I... very trusting face. Thank you. Yeah. That's very important in this. Um, I, I think I have a resting, smiling face. I have been told this, which is... Very true. Oh, thank you. And that seemed to be the case. Over <laughs> I'm sure Andre all the way over in London picked up that resting <laughs> smile. Yes. The radiance oh, came wow. over the uh, Wi-Fi. Wow. <laughs> I have a boyfriend, Andre. Wow. <laughs> back off. Back I'm just off. kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but I do apologize. Very British apology. Very sorry. <laughs> but Very sorry. but uh, yes, I, I have. Um, I think I, I, I don't project that. In public, I don't project that uh, you cannot approach me. And so I am very into cycling. I And I would bike around all parts of the city and I would stop and just enjoy the view. And on more than one occasion, more, more than like 10 occasions, let's be honest, people would come up to me unsolicited, sit down and tell me their life story. And this still happens. Like I, I, people tell me everything. I don't know what it is about me. But I, I know a lot of secrets. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. 
because we literally talked about this very topic in our last podcast about how North Americans. Well, this is a, a massive sweeping assumption um, that they, they seem to share a lot of what on kind of wear their hat on their sleeve mm. and say a lot of what Europeans would kind of hold off until maybe. 10 years into a marriage and kind of say it all within the first yeah. hour. <laughs> yeah, that was sort of the crux of our last podcast, Jen. So we were just discussing the general radical, radical openness in mm-hmm. North America, particularly in the US, but also very much in Canada. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you've got one of those resting smile faces, as you do, you know, you will, you'll be the recipient of that openness in pretty much any context. Whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, sometimes I, I will say... It, it is a privilege to to appear as someone that others can be comfortable around. That is definitely something I should not and do not take for granted. And also, sometimes I just want to eat my sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I can't complain. Um, but I, I started, I, I really, in the beginning, fought a lot of these conversations and um, with people who would start to tell me their life story and their, their traumatic backgrounds. And mm. cause you know, stop following <laughs> me. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I want to eat my lunch. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> but I mean, I, I want to also say that I think this is very specific to me. I've talked to many people about this and mm. it doesn't seem very common. So I, I don't know what it is about me, but you're definitely an outlier. I, like, I think I am. There's openness in North America, and then there's what you've experienced. And I think what you've experienced is on a whole other level. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's also this like radical openness in the absence of alcohol as well is yeah. quite atypical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yes. Yeah, Good drinking point. here is a big thing. That is that is how people usually open up. Um, and it's quite unhealthy to be to be doing so. I don't think it's it's particularly helpful for our mental health as a general culture. To be dependent on that to be your true self. Correct. And um, Andre's also bringing that up because, um, yes, like alcohol consumption to be open is definitely a thing in all of the Western world. But in in the UK and a lot of Europe, it's like everyone depends on that. Mm. And what we found with our times in the US and Canada is that people are able to be a lot more open um, without that kind of substance yes which is has been quite refreshing for us in north america i would say but um again i think i think the, the people that have crossed your life jen from these sort of cultish like backgrounds you know have, have 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 that but something extra as well it's like another level of openness yeah yeah you see i can relate to it on some level jen but in london for me it's you know people approach me but it's just to ask for directions mm. and then that was about it yeah <laughs> yeah so imagine you're living your your best life around pancras saint pancras and pancras. Uh, <laughs> and pancras. pancras the pancreatic station yes <laughs> and you know someone asks you for directions and then when you think you're about to leave they start telling you their deepest desires yeah mm. that's that's it like from a whole bit of a jump from one to ten yeah. isn't it yeah but it's normal for me <laughs> and so i for a long time i did i did very much fight this happening i because i i didn't know like you know i'd had places to be yeah and eventually i thought well you know if it's if people are going to tell me mm. i may as well just start listening mm. because if this is very not very common with other people then 
I have an opportunity to really learn about a lot of things, learn about people and about the whys of the world and yeah. what really what people really want and what they desire and what they dream. Mm. And I that's not something that I think that many people are either very open about or are very you know, get the privilege to hear about, unless you're a therapist, in which case you have a very select group of people too. You're paid to do that, really. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe that's where the universe is trying to guide you. Maybe that's what you should be. It's mm. funny you mentioned that. I am considering a PhD or another master's in psychology. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad life, is it? Like, you know, 200 bucks an hour, sitting in a comfy chair, <laughs> listening to people's problems and makes you realize how great your life is. <laughs> it's not bad. But also help people immensely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That too, that's but... a byproduct, but we won't talk about that, you know. Because <laughs> who needs to help people? Am I right, guys? You know, looking out for numero uno. Show me the money. <laughs> Give me the shmoney. Just uh, like throwing dollar bills. This is what this is really about. Let's cut yeah. this shit. <laughs> this is the financial self-help program. But no, seriously, um, th- th- this this began with people just coming forward to you. And, yeah. And so what kind of... So you, you to backtrack a bit, Jen, you said that their dreams and yeah. their innermost desires. Now, what kind of desires would these be? Would these be like financial desires or desires in terms of family or yeah. travel, movement? Where did it go from there? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all of yes, it. All yes, all of the above. Yes, mm-hmm. it would be It would be about someone's like home life and how they are trying to fix things with their spouse or it would be like, I have a kid somewhere else and like I'm trying to be a good parent to them Mm. and I'm not sure how like I'm here in the city trying to make it or it would be like oh man I'm I'm so in debt I was in the oil field and like now I don't have any money because our economy crashed in 2008 Mm. or or any any and all of the above like I feel I feel disconnected in my community because of where I live and or I don't have a car so I can't drive to the places I need to go and now I'm stuck here and I have I have to take transit for 2 hours to get to my job but I'm also trying to balance other mm-hmm. other needs and wants mm-hmm. it it's vast it is vast um, and mm. it it could even be childhood stuff people would tell me they they would tell me everything mm. and still do and Jen, what was like the frequency of these encounters? <laughs> oh, every yeah on the hour, every hour. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. If I spent if I spend enough time outside, it's gonna happen. Yeah. Hmm. So so say sort of a typical week, it would maybe be what two three times yeah. a week. You'd have these encounters with people. Yes, wow, and man. I would tell friends that this That's had happened, and and friends would say like only you have these stories i don't understand yeah, yeah. that's yeah. quite a positive thing well people do talk about an aura and a vibe around people mm. right we supposedly will have some form of aura and metaphysical or whatever woo woo you want to talk about but there is definitely a feel you get from people right before you've even spoken to them mm. it's it's interesting mm-hmm. anyway yeah yeah so eventually um i started to really listen to people and you know, I would be in a park for two or three hours at a time. And uh, right around when I really accepted that this was just going to be a thing that people would do with me. <laughs> and Drop in therapy. Yeah. In the I park. mean, kind of, yeah. But also kind of not. It, it's, it's a, it is quite open. Mm. Yeah, it's, it, culturally, I think it's, it's part of it. Um, I, th- I think that's a definitely a positive um indicated a take from that you know that people entrusted you with this information mm-hmm. you know in the way that people do with say their hairdressers or yeah you know maybe a physiotherapist or something like that mm-hmm. so it's quite 
I think it's good that you were able to, as Andre said, give off that aura, you know, to invite in, mm-hmm. you know, people, people's dreams and, and their inner, inner uh, woes and interest. Yeah. Well, just like approachability, mm. like that's a, a great um, attribute to yeah. have. Um, oh, yeah, but you. I mean, in whatever avenue you choose in life, that's going to serve and be an invaluable skill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe they just approached me because they like my bike and I just haven't known it this whole time. <laughs> it's not about me at all. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so as soon as I started to really accept that this was going to happen, um, people would tell me all their deepest, darkest fears and dreams and, and what have you. And then I noticed a pattern, too, that they a lot of them, not everybody, but a lot of them would ask me to go to some kind of event with mm. them. And, you know, stranger danger is what we're taught here. <laughs> yeah. Yep, growing up. Um, and I, I really resisted because I, I don't know these people. I met some people in a park. Uh, it could be dangerous and just the general being a woman thing and going to places on your own with people that you don't know. It can, even in Canada, it still can be a safety issue. Yeah. And so I, I resisted for a long time. And then eventually... I got asked so many times to attend these these get-togethers that, you know, kind of thought, well, fuck it, you know? <laughs> yeah, why people not? Are, I, why not? Like, if people keep asking me... You're being sent a message clearly here, Jen. Yeah. You know, enough people are asking you. Take the opportunity. <laughs> and Jen, how would they describe it? Like, are we just going to this event or would they not go into much detail? Well, they they wouldn't go into much detail at all. They They would say, you know, like I... Wow, like you thank you for listening. Like I would like to invite you to this this thing that I like to go to. I think you'd like it cuz it'd be I think you'd find it interesting. Like you have the the kind of demeanor that I think you'd be into this. Mm. And mm. so they they'd be very vague. And I learned later intentionally so. Um however, intentional internally or externally it was like I, i'm not certain exactly to the level at which they knew what they were doing but mm, yeah so it would be vague and, and maybe when you would attempt to probe them a little bit would they become a little bit defensive or just shut down a little bit and kind of let you your curiosity take you to the event um they they would be very vague it's almost like a they'd almost mm. say a script of things that they were would, taught would it previously. sound scripted or would it sound as if would it sound like a well-rehearsed invitation or would it would it be more natural than that? Uh, an odd combination of both mm. in which they would say, you know, this thing has been really helping me. And also, have you heard of this thing? This has been great. It's given me financial stability. Mm. Um, mm. And I wouldn't really listen to that portion because it sounds a little too good to be true. But I'd be interested as to why people would keep inviting me to these events. And, yeah. and I'd figure, you know, like... If anything, this is an opportunity to further this quest of finding out why people do things and who these people are and why I keep getting approached. Mm. Just basically burrowing deeper into the meaning behind why this stuff is happening. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 And, and frankly, at the time, I was taking some, taking a break from my, from my university, my undergrad. And so I had nothing better to do. <laughs> yeah. So it was the perfect time. Yeah. Start exploring some of those curiosities, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so I, I remember going to the first one that I had ever gone to. I had actually this one, I had been invited to this event from by a by a coworker of mine. And this coworker, her and I, we really connected. 
uh, as friends, and she invited me to this this thing. And I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to go to one of these very similar-sounding pitched mm. meetings, then I should probably go with someone that I know. Social proofing, right? Yeah. Go with someone that can vouch. 100%. For it, or, or, you know, give you some kind of protection in this new environment. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I ended up biking all the way from this uh, northern community to a very, very, very far northwest community in right. Calgary. It was something like, I think it was like an hour ride, something mm. wild like that. Yeah. And uh, we, we went together, but it was someone's house, this French woman's house. Okay. And so the, it was all very weird because suddenly I'm going into someone's house. I'd never been there before. Yeah. And frankly, I didn't really know where I was. Mm. I look back and this could have been very dangerous. But... Yeah. Well, you were, you're going into someone's home. Yeah. Their personal habitat with yeah. no... So this particular person, you'd, you'd had um, not really much information on what you were getting yourself into. Not it at all. It was just a get-together or an event? Was it addressed? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. With the, with the, under the guise of, uh, of receiving mentorship. I remember that mm. being a very specific cell. Mentorship. What mentorship actually mm. means. Was it financial or personal or was it just mentorship? Just mentorship. Interesting. Yes. Mm. And what does it mean to be a mentor? You know, there are different kinds of mentors that you can find here that are, you know, they're they're very solidified, but they're typically for, for people under 18. And so I was mm. very interested in this at the time. I think I was, I think I was 20. Okay. And so I was just coming into my own at the time. So yeah. even, even just on a personal level, I was intrigued to know what a mentor would be like. Yeah. And so I, I went to this this woman's house and everyone was dressed in suits Ooh. in <laughs> interesting and you you presumably were not you were dressed in oh no your, your usual gear oh yeah yeah i guess for the listeners uh you should know that i live in exercise gear oh yeah i live and breathe <laughs> and sleep sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> in my exercise gear and so i i go into this house everybody's dressed to the nines and there's three rows of really uncomfortable looking folding chairs in the living room. They've completely cleared <laughs> the living room and there are a bunch of snacks everywhere in the house. And you know, I can't say no to those. So at no. least at the very bare minimum, I got fed, which is, that's at least a win there. It is coming to a cryptic meeting. Mm. At least, at least you've got some uh, party rings and yeah. Cheetos to munch on. Yeah. But the, the odd <laughs> thing was that I really looked into what, like I paid attention as to what was going on because the mm. second uh, this French woman came in, or, like, let, allowed us in. Like, I knew something weird was happening. Mm. And it wasn't because she was French. Don't, like... <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly yeah. why. Let's <laughs> be honest. That's the reason, Jen. <laughs> Let's make this podcast about that. <laughs> poor poor uh, francophones in Canada are yeah. already hating my Alberta, my Alberta roots. Yeah. Sorry, Quebec. Yeah. I think Quebec's hating, if possible, Alberta a little bit more now. Je suis désolée. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I go into this into this room, um, and it's already weird because everybody is dressed similarly with their 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 suits. So it's like a uniform almost. Almost. Yeah. And you know, it's it's a very odd happening when you go into a into a personal home, like a single family detached home, and everybody is dressed like they're going to the office. Yeah. And this was in the evening, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's very mm -hmm. odd. And uh, I I really looked closer, and all the snacks were of the same like the same brand mm. all of mm. them not a single one was was different yeah they're all of the same brand and i thought well this is already kind of weird but like i don't know maybe somebody just had a surplus yeah how right i was and so mm. 
I, <laughs> I, we all sat down eventually. Um, I was introduced to a bunch of people and, uh, they, they all like greeted me as if they already knew me, which was a little, I mean, it's endearing. Ooh, a bit culty yeah. already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know me. I don't know you and your snacks. And so, <laughs> um, we, we all sit down and this couple, they go to the front of this room and they're, they're standing in front of, uh, all of the rows that we are in this living room mm. of the rows of the chairs that we're all sitting in now. And they start giving a presentation about how we need to, like, how great it would be if we all had money to do the things that we wanted. Mm. And mm. if we all just, like, embraced a specific way of of marketing specific products, mm. that we would we would be free financially. And how great would that be? And somewhere in this, everybody out of their bags, just like a system or everyone just knew to pull out the same snacks out of all of their bags. What? Yeah. So in unison, at the same, at the same time, time, they all pulled out, synchronized the same type yeah. of snack. And what was the snack? Do you they, remember? They were crackers and they looked delicious. And <laughs> <laughs> were they delicious? You know, I never got a chance to try them. I Did they taste of financial no. success, Jen? Um, they, they tasted like financial ruin, I would assume. <laughs> unknowing financial ruin and so <laughs> tasted like passive income for me. <laughs> tasting no maybe they were triangular perhaps the shape of a, a pyramid a pyramid illuminati perhaps. illuminati pyramid scheme shaped illuminati confirmed <laughs> confirmed it's Get done out. it's done confirmed and you know it, that was already strange and so at this point i was i was for sure not in it for the mentorship at this point i thought I'm in it for the story. For the story, yeah. Yeah. For the anecdotes to follow. Yes. Yeah. Because this is just so wild that, like, there's there's no way, like, I, I can't leave now. No. You can't <laughs> back out at this point when the crackers are out. No. And so the the people at the front... Jen, how are you not a vice journalist already? You know, I've thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible. So they... Hard to watch them. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you just put a, put a little, like, body cam on me. Maybe, maybe I should. But the, they start giving this presentation and they start telling us about how lucky we are to be there in this one moment and how people all over the world are killing to be in this room right now <laughs> and, and how they have a, a Skype guest that's coming in and they're going to Skype with him and he's like world renowned. So wait, how, how many people are in the room at this point? Oh, I'd say like 15. It was getting really hot too. Okay. And oh, how wow. big is the room? It's like a normal Canadian living room. Yeah. Okay. So it's not that big. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, it depends Crammed where you live. There. I mean, it can it can really change depending on your income and mm. your general idea of, like, what your life, what you think your life should look like. But yeah. Yeah. That's that's, that's a later, later topic. That's for another time. <laughs> but yeah. um, the... I just found it so odd how they were very certain that we should be there and how, like, everyone was seemed very adamant to agree with them that mm. we all like are very lucky to be here and even the positioning too like they, they this couple they that we were presenting they almost positioned themselves in a in a position of power like they built a little stage and they Ooh. yeah and they stood on the stage and mini pyrotechnics and flashing lights and you know <laughs> it it would have fit <laughs> and i remember one question that was asked 
and the question that was asked by by the uh, one one person in the couple was, so would you guys, if you guys had all the money in the world, like, would you choose to live, or when you went on vacation, would you choose to, like, camp, or would you choose to stay in the swankiest hotel? Mm. And so I raised my hand, and I said, I'd prefer to camp. <laughs> <laughs> Happy camper right here. You're looking at her. <laughs> Bring all the bears, please. Yeah. And <laughs> And he was so rattled that I had this this opinion like it, it was like there there wasn't other another option like yeah. obviously you want the yeah. flashy you took him off script and he was yes pissed. that's exactly what it was but at this point i knew it was happening in it's its own like weird scripted odd way so i mm. I, I think at the time i also said that just to poke at it a little bit because you kind of happen. felt that they would be aghast yeah that you didn't choose like the swanky malibu pad yeah yeah mm. yeah but by by uh being the devil's advocate I gained a lot of information about the ideologies of these people and like what they actually were trying to send as a message. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. decoding them basically. Yeah, I yeah, mean yeah. already they've they've they're trying to sort people in a very binary way, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Like, are you someone who enjoys, or in their eyes, puts up with roughing it in the wilderness with the birds and the coo- sorry the bears and the cougars, you know, or are you someone that is actually striving for? this sort of pristine yeah. millionaire's lifestyle. Yeah. Mm. Are you are you roughing it or are you actually a hard worker and worthy of this lifestyle? Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Yes. Well, they're like trying to reinforce that group, yeah. aren't they? They're sort of saying, you know, are you successful? Yes or yes. Yeah. <laughs> are you, do you want to stay in the swankiest hotel? Yeah. Yes or yes. It's like, you know, that <laughs> film, Yes Man. And it's like, I'd say no yes. to this particular activity. Like, no man, no man. Like trying to alienate him. Yeah. Like that, I can totally see that. They're, they're already trying to put you in their box. And if yes. you're not in there, they'll yes. try and either cajole or, or coerce you into that. Yes. Mm. It's a very like crude, medium to long-term form of hypnosis, I suppose. <laughs> it's kind of getting everyone on the same wavelength. You know, it's funny mm. that you mentioned that because I, I had said before how all these chairs looked very uncomfortable. And uh, mm. they had kept telling us that they were very cognizant of the time that we have taken to be there that night. And how very, very lucky we are to be there. And how, like, they, they want to make sure that our lives are honored and our commitments are honored. Yeah. And we got there maybe 6 o'clock. And this uh, this whole thing kept going until about 11.30 at night. That's a long time. So what was covered, exactly, Jen? And what was the crux of it? What were they, ultimately, what were they after from you and the others in the room? They wanted us to sign up for seminars. Mm. Uh, so pay pay uh, thousands of dollars. So these were paid. These were all paid opportunities. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I mean, for them anyway. <laughs> of course. Yes. Mm. Paid for them. Um, they, they wanted to recruit more people to get involved in these seminars to learn how they can be part of something called the business. Um, <laughs> the vagueness yes. they've been very original <laughs> I've been here for five hours and I am none the wiser <laughs> why am I here oh we're getting there that's two thousand more dollars please exactly right yes <laughs> Leo said that with a smile but that's exactly what I happened should have done that. so essentially was it a sign on the line situation at the end of the night yeah mm. yeah yeah now that you have sat here for five hours in this uncomfortable chair mm. without water and 
you know, watching everyone eat the same snacks. And now, we, like, at least in my experience, like, I had no snacks. So, yeah. although I got somewhat fed, it was not enough for, you know, five hours of sitting in an uncomfortable chair yeah. in some random French woman's house <laughs> in a place I've never been. <laughs> um, very late as well. You know, I, I did not get to learn what the business was. But at this point, I am, I am invested. Oh so, yeah. yeah. Is it that just, are you invested because of the amount of time and energy you kind of already invested into it? Sitting there and listening to this. Yeah, like I, I'm still in it for the story. And the story I knew for sure was not over. Mm. And so. Yeah. Well, that's an art to almost talk about nothing for four and a half hours and yeah. yet kind of have you there. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, that uses some pretty sophisticated persuasion. I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I go into, um, eventually I end up getting driven home by one of the, the people in the couple because like I, it was dark. It was, I think I worked the next morning at like seven, something mm. crazy. So, you know, I had to get home and it, maybe it was like an hour bike ride to get back. And so I, I got driven home and this woman, she said that she was the mentor to my coworker and that she was considering me for mentorship. Wow. Okay. And so I thought, well. So they elevate you. Yes. Like that. It's like you've been chosen. You're yes. One of the chosen ones. Yes. Who has shown potential to be worthy of mentorship, basically. To possibly be worthy, possibly. but I must prove myself to be worthy. I see. Yes. So it's like you. There needs to be a payoff. You need to um, prove yourself. Yes. So that it's worth it. Because yes. if it's easy, it's not worth it, right? No, yeah. no. They don't see you... Like, they, they're looking at you as a monetary investment, mm. essentially. Mm. Yeah. So... It's such a predatory formula, yeah. isn't it? Yes. And it's quite potent. That's the that's the best way to describe it, predatory, actually. It is. A, yeah. It really is. It really is. That They've got it down to a T. Like, it's not going to work on everyone, but it's going to work on most people. Yeah. You know, yeah. and if you, if you just do the right things, I guarantee it's going to work on you. Yes. Mm. So... Uh, right before I left, this woman gave me a book. I still have it, actually. I was supposed to give it back, but I, I may have kept it. So <laughs> sell it on eBay. You won. You made it. People will pay thousands for that book, Jen. <laughs> I really was lucky to be in the room that night. Yeah. <laughs> so she gave me this book, and I and she said, "Read this before the next time that we meet." And I agreed to meet with her again because, of course, the story is not over. Mm. I need to learn more. Like, what is happening here? Yeah. Yeah. And I I definitely went into um my own little nook and I read this book. And it's it's interesting that you mention how it the way that they're approaching this is very binary because what this book was based on is primarily Christianity. Okay. Christianity and economics. Wow. And it was a very short read, but it was it was almost Christianity, economics and psychology. Mm. But like very like almost affirmation based. Mm. kind of psychological mm. okay sphere so to inter sorry to interrupt but mm -hmm. you're you're kind of saying the book was adept at hooking people in through perhaps beliefs that they'd already become accustomed to through school and also the allure of financial or economic gain really. i think that i think that's a possibility there i think as well it was a very good clue as to what was going on is this is this a religious experience mm. is this a business what is this business is mm. it a church mm. <laughs> mm. yeah like what yeah. is this 
How it's do you categorize like the vagueness? The vagueness in and of itself is kind of the fuel to keep you coming back for more snippets. Yeah, right? yeah. it's almost like a good book. Mm-hmm. It almost wants it keeps you flicking through the pages onto the next chapter, or leaves you on a cliffhanger. Right, what's next? What's next? And it leaves you on this cliffhanger enough, kind of to the point of where you've invested, and you're kind of on the train. You're on the roller coaster before you know mm-hmm. it. And that's the case with a lot of uh, fringe organizations and pyramid schemes. Is it's like oh, you're so close to the secret. You just need to, you know, you just need to invest a little more time or money. You know, you're, you're, you're nearly there. And you're always nearly there, but you're never quite there. Mm-hmm. And there's so many, like, yeah, world, world religions have achieved that in various ways as well. Yeah. Yeah. There is no destination, but you're made to believe there mm. is one. Yes. Yes. Or at least that the journey is something that you're going on together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, a, it's a spiritual journey. And I think the fact that the book had certain spiritual beliefs and economic content is interesting because I've certainly found in, again, another sweeping generalization, but in North America, there's certainly, in in my time here, I found there's a definite marrying of spirituality and capitalist ethics. Um, and maybe that's grounded in like the Calvinist beginnings of, of settlers, but definitely in in places like the deep south and in texas you know people have almost ruthless um needs for economic gain and that's often justified by sort of a religious uh overtone so i've definitely i can see that marrying of spirituality and financial success uh very prevalent yeah yeah Mm. the Almost the the commodification of of community mm. is is what I think is happening with this. Mm. But go on anyway about the book and yes. what were the next steps? Well, it was at this exact moment that I realized that this could be a cult, <laughs> <laughs> and I really? needed some ground rules. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh yeah, you you set your own personal ground rules. I didn't did. You? Yeah. I did. Yeah. Yes. That's interesting. Um, I have. I did not and still do not have any interest in joining a cult, but I, at this point, decided that I would attend these meetings so that you don't have to. <laughs> You're a journalist. Yeah, investigative journalism, journalism here. Investigative, yeah, seriously. This is another career route if urban planning doesn't work out. <laughs> a student of all things, I guess. A student of all things. Keep your doors open. Yeah. And so I, uh, the three rules that I made for myself were that I am not allowed to research anything about this organization, mm. even if I learn what the business is. I am not allowed to sign anything, mm. and I'm not allowed to pay for anything. Okay. But the second that I can't go any further without signing or paying for anything, that's when I get to research what it is. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so if you, okay, yeah. So step two or three, if you can't progress, without violating those two laws, you mm-hmm. you see step one, basically. Yes. Interesting. Yes. That's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. Is it... I think those are solid rules. Yeah. It seems to have served Killers. you well. But it just re- reminds me of Damien, what Damien mentioned in our last podcast around that guy he met outside Target and he said, how do you want to make a passive income of toilet paper? <laughs> you know, that's... Yeah, I remember that. That's exactly... Yeah, I wonder if it's the same thing. So, <laughs> but these are, these are very good pillars, I think, for like from a from you know an they interest are. in terms of going down the rabbit hole, but also from a self preservation perspective, mm-hmm. because in terms of like your own well being and your own you know you know your own savings, these 
in terms of your just pursuing your own curiosity, these these cults can be very dangerous. Yes. Yeah. If you if you do get lost in it, if you're not critical, if you don't think critically about what's actually happening and mm. and take note of things like demographics and yeah, like just general behaviors and yeah, what what people are saying in which way and how and when yeah, and what how long they're keeping you, do they actually, uh, do they actually like taking into consideration your time or are they just saying that to keep you there yeah which is a tactic of a cult i later learned and they make you as, as uncomfortable mm. as possible and as dehydrated and hungry as possible and tired so that you're more susceptible yeah to uh, oh my god that's, accepting so, their so beliefs. Like, that's what the crackers yeah. were for yeah they were there to make you that's sodium that's sodium oh my god <laughs> Yeah, but also just crackers. You know, um, Leo, like a classic Jacob's cracker in yeah. the UK. It's, so, it's the driest thing in the world. You can't eat three in one minute. I don't think anyone's yeah. ever done it in, in the history of yeah. world records. I can, I can totally <laughs> believe that. I mean, a Jacob's cracker and most crackers, you know, your, your mouth is dry as a Sahara after your second bite. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just sandy. But it's de the, definitely the self-preservation aspect is, is a big thing because you've, you've just reminded me of the, um, the Westboro Baptist Church and Louis Theroux's um, two that he made two documentaries on that and mm -hmm. one of the most avid believers was this man um, former rock star who actually went to the church as an investigative journalist as someone who was skeptical of the religion and he he created this documentary um, to criticize the Westboro Baptist Church and sort of debunk them um, as a uh, sort of hateful organization um, and as his documentary went on, he got hooked into it, and then he suddenly moved to their um, compound in Kansas and built a life with them there. So I feel like some of these cults, um, it's easy to, to sort of judge them and poo-poo them, but they're actually, they're incredibly um, adept and mm -hmm. effective at hooking people in, yeah. even people who come in with a skeptical and negative lens of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in in the end, they are fulfilling something that is missing within our society. Very well said. Yeah. And if you if you live in a society in which there are gaps, like everyone is susceptible. Mm. You know, anyone could join a cult. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to know. Like, why were these people coming to me and telling me about their their deepest darkest fears, and how does this connect to me? Uh, attending these meetings and what do these people feel what have these people been through yeah why are they here what are they trying to achieve mm. who's actually in charge here yeah and do when does know? it all end yeah like, when do you when do you feel elated when do you feel happy when yes. are you a success when has the cult actually done what it's prescribed and purported mm -hmm. to do yeah it's mm. it's a it's akin to a good uh non-profit organization like a non-profit organization should exist so that it no longer has to. Mm. So in terms of alleviating. Jen, continuing kind of on your exploration and story yes. in this cult, where did you kind of come across a barrier or something that conflicted with the values you'd set out? So, yes. So I, I did attend a couple coffee sessions with this, the, the, the woman in this couple. Not that all couples have to be you know, heterosexual, but in this case they were. <laughs> and the the woman, she and I, we met for coffee and we, we talked a lot about what it means to be mentored and like how important it is to to be committed. 
And it was still very vague. Mm. I kept asking, well, what am I committing to? Because I, I can't really give you any of my own commitment until you tell me what it is I, first of all, need to do mm. to commit. And also what it is to which I am committing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just incredibly cryptic. Yes. Step. Yes. It sounds like very reasonable questions. Yeah. From yes. Yeah. And instead of instead of getting any answers, I was asked to listen to podcasts uh, talking about how I can be a better self and rich. Um, and I listened to them. Uh, and the, the thing that really got me was that in this whole podcast, it was almost like recordings of a almost like a church mm. in its own way. It wasn't particularly religious, but the format was extremely religious. Like the delivery. Christian. delivered in almost like a yes. sermon yeah. format. Yes, yes. Interesting. People, I would say like akin to something more Baptist where people like are, are like yelling and like mm. saying like, yeah, like yes, man, no man. Like, yeah, yeah right, very right. similar. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was very intrigued by that and, I'm not sure exactly. At the time, I wasn't sure what the point was to listening to these. But again, further in my further research, just looking at cults in general, um, there is uh, there's an effect, a psychological effect of which I don't remember its exact name. But uh, the more that people agree, the more you hear people agreeing with something, and the louder they agree, the more you, likely you are to agree with them as well, even if it doesn't make any logical sense mm. and so in these in these recordings yeah. people are yelling and screaming and like laughing and mm. cheering and so i wonder if partially this tactic was used to try to get me on board mm. and really stop asking mm. some questions which it's almost like the snowball effect of like the herd mentality mm -hmm. and how that create well how that pushes people into agreeing with things that any logical person would usually say no to yeah mm. Well, it harkens back to almost a survival tactic of us being hunter-gatherers. If you weren't with the tribe, you weren't, you're were against the tribe, and when you're against the tribe, you're out there on your own, and you're going to die. So being part of the group was almost a survival mechanism, and that, to a large extent, is still very much ingrained in our psyche. Yeah, yeah, mm. we have to create attachments in some way. Um, and so it, with this, I... I, I was I was very confused about what exactly the business was and what they were trying to message me about. And so eventually it got to the point where this woman trusted me enough and thought it was enough of an investment, uh, which I still think a little, like, I still feel a little bad about because this entire time I was thinking, this is craziness. I'm not actually going to join this. And this woman was taking time out of her life to try to invest. Yeah in what she thought would be a good idea for me. And she assumed that mm. you were really on board with it or in yeah. the beginnings of being on board with it. Yeah, mm. yeah. Which, okay. you know, like on a, on a human scale, I do feel regretful about. And also I still don't want to join your cult. So I, <laughs> <laughs> it's both. Yeah. So I... You're forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Oh, mighty Andre. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I feel like a cult leader. <laughs> so she um, she tells Jen, me. Did you ever oh, find yourself? No, go on. Sorry. Oh, uh, yeah. She she ended up telling me what the business was. Uh, the very last, I think <gasps> I met with her three times, four secret times. Secret was revealed. The secret was revealed, and she told me. She said, "Well, don't keep us hanging." <laughs> yeah. Ba ba. Yeah. Anyway. Or else you're part of the cult. Just tell us right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're eager to find out. This crackers, is, wasn't it? it was this crackers. is all a big. I'm actually part of the cult still, and uh, <laughs> this is all a pitch meeting. Do you guys want to be mentored? 
<laughs> have you ever heard fooled. of... <laughs> uh, we've been had again. Damn it. Here's all our savings. Damien last week with the toilet paper, now crackers. Yeah. What the <laughs> You'd be amazed. There's lotion and... Okay. So that's that's another divergence from this. But the, the cult's name was... Uh, Worldwide Dream Builders, which is a pyramid pyramid scheme. Um, it's a multi-level marketing scheme, mm. uh, but it does have religious undertones, and it is technically legal in Canada and also technically legal in the states. But it is a pyramid scheme. There are some really shady, shady, shady things that happen, mm. um, and uh, it was it was very. It's a cult in the way because of the way they operate. The tactics that they use to get you to agree with them and to sign up mm. are exactly what cults use to get you in there and stuck. And so, the this woman she told me the the name of the cult, and I was very intrigued. And at that point, she said, "If we want to go any further, you need to go to this seminar." It's in C- or it's in Spokane, Washington. Yeah. And it costs three thousand dollars, and it's in a month. And if you want to go, we can foot the bill, but you'll owe us three thousand dollars. What? But we'll drive you down. So you would be indebted to them. I would. Yeah. Okay, and presumably this would come with like legal signatures. Yes. The so it's not it wouldn't be a verbal agreement. It wouldn't be anything tacit. You would. Yeah. literally be signing up and legally you would owe them money yeah mm. yes and presumably it's dangerous this is part i i do remember a snippet i don't remember how much i don't remember much of this but i do have an inkling of a memory of her mentioning that it was part of a program okay to get more people to come so in the end it it, it was something that is organized it's organized to get people to come to be indebted to others right so that they can God. get involved yeah. And it turns out that those podcasts that I was listening to were little ex- excerpts okay. of events of other, like that. Other events like the one in Spokane. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yes. So it was at that point that I thought, all right, this story has ended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. you went. So that's very disciplined, Jen, because maybe a lesser person or someone with maybe less sort of um, self-mastery would have potentially have could have broken at that point and said well, why not you know kind of i've gone come this yeah. far i feel like it's worth going so what i'm interested in is how you managed sort of to be disciplined enough or did you ever find yourself in fact sort of leaning towards or even entertaining the idea of carrying on and breaking one of your principles you know uh, no i i have not broken my principles and i i think it's partially because i i am aware of uh of the consequences of doing so mm. um mm. i have uh this is only one of my cult stories i have many we could we could talk for hours about the things wow. that i have seen <laughs> mm. Mm. and even yeah. even just secondhand yeah. things that i have i have heard mm. from friends of mine who've had other experiences like this and um i i know i know what can happen if you get involved in these, uh, I call these ones business cults. I, I didn't just attend business cults, but primarily it was business cults. Mm. Um, and you can end up ruining your, your finances, your credit score. You can lose all kinds of connections with people that you love because suddenly you're so in the hole financially that you have to 
like scrape by and ask people that you may have never seen yeah. or may haven't haven't have seen in over 10 years yeah and suddenly yeah. you're asking these people to buy your products god and even yeah. you are buying your, the, pro your own products. Yeah, you commodified to, yourself, essentially. Yes, yeah. yeah. So it, it is the commodification of community, mm. by and large, it's, yeah. whether it's religious or not. Yeah. And it, I think the tragedy is even the people who have come clean and sort of spoken about their personal accounts of being in cults and going quite deep into the down the rabbit hole. Um, they're often don't come. There's not that many of them because they are just embarrassed for being made fools yeah. of. Yeah, and they've also and lost all of their connections within this cult too. And perhaps yeah. they have divulged yeah. a lot of secrets, a lot of like very personal yeah. stories. And it can also be partially because of fear that they don't speak out. They don't want these personal stories coming up and, and mm. even impacting them in their legitimate business lives. Which is, which is a, big, a big aspect of the, the Scientology uh, initiation. Yep. process of divulging you know criminal history or certain personal histories that may be seen as uh on the wrong side of the tracks um to to keep you in your place really so there's definitely a fear aspect and i think there's also this sort of social purgatory state whereby you may be eventually if you don't perform or you don't deliver financially you're ostracized from the cult that you joined but you don't have a life to go back to because you've you've really created these fissures between yourself and yep. your loved ones your friends mm -hmm. you've left those people behind to join the cult but now you can't sustain yourself within the cult yeah the cults effectively use yeah. you and i suppose then when you leave the cult you're kind of in no man's land mm. because you've alienated your family and previous friends you've now alienated the cult and that leaves you in kind of a horrible no man's land and broke mm -hmm. it's a pretty despair situation yeah yeah and uh Similarly, I, I believe that people get into these kinds of cults because they feel a sense of loneliness and a, a lack of community. Mm. And suddenly this community is almost forced upon them and it's everything that they've ever wanted this whole time. Mm. And they... Well, that's the problem. I think it almost attends to and meets every need they, that they, they're kind of lacking or mm -hmm. looking for. Mm. And it kind of, it weirdly, it comes at the perfect time. It's like, oh, this is exactly what I needed. But... In the meantime, it's sad because it's exploiting often, I suppose, two kinds of people. One, people with high openness and those who are genuinely vulnerable. Mm -hmm. right? And I think that that's definitely a trend in, in the US and in North America. You know, again, coming back to our, our discussion on last week's podcast, the level of openness in North America is, I would say, starker than, than most other places in the Western world. Um, but there's also that particular vulnerability um, in Canada, but even more so in the U.S. when it comes to people's finances and, you know, healthcare bills coming through and tax payments. So those mm. those two traits basically make it open season for cults to, to, to pry into people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jen, I'm really curious, you know, cults, at least the ones I'm familiar with and seen from a distance, it seems that they're typically characterized by a powerful or charismatic leader or figurehead that's often idolized. And was there such a figurehead in the, or even any of the cults you explored? Mm. Always. Really? But it wasn't obvious. Because, and I think, Who yes. Was, and yeah. I Was it kind of a Wizard of Oz kind of thing where they're kind of behind the smoke screen? Yes. But, they're kind mm. of idolized as a god. Yes. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, especially with the business cult sphere. Like it, it was, uh, almost like a celebritization of the, of the leader where they would go into these events like the one in Spokane and they would speak about how this has worked for them and how you can too do this. Mm. But they were, they weren't preaching anything about religion though. Like under the table, it is religious. Yeah. But they would almost be seen as the pinnacle of success through their faith, through their, their great relationships, through their, their great, like, financial status Mm. and that's something that everyone obviously is aspiring to be and if you're not aspiring to be that then you are a loser and you're going to struggle you're spiritually unwell yes yes Mm. yeah you're lost Mm. yes and were these messiahs ever revealed in the flesh or were they just discussed they were they were discussed videos uh existed i did extensive research on this particular cult worldwide dream builders which by the way is a subsection of another cult called amway and a friend of mine actually mentioned amway to me yes the other day as one of the the most well-known pyramid schemes in north america yes of the legal ones yes (laughs) yeah yeah amway rebranded a section of their of their business to worldwide dream builders because they were getting bad press and so they still needed to keep making money um and that's basically what happened. Yeah. So they, the thing that I, I did notice uh, that I made a note of was every time that I went into a cult, the first thing I would do is take stock of who these people are. Like, what is their, like, gender presentation? Are they, like, are what is their, their age group? Hmm. Like what is their like, just a general their cultural demographic. background? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A breakdown of the demographics. Yeah, because mm. I think that tells a lot about who is looking for what specifically and what holes are trying to be filled by this cult. And so, the thing that I found oftentimes is that these these cults were often held in suburban areas, fringe suburban areas, mm. almost never downtown, unless you unless you do count um, other there are other cults that have like halls. Mm. um which that's a whole other can of worms but these particular business cults they they would meet in single family detached homes in sprawling communities Mm. with poor walking connection poor um just the general social incohesion in terms of having that interaction between people between your neighbors Mm. Mm. but these areas you're saying they were generally areas of affluence, suburban affluence. You know... Not social affluence, but financial affluence, perhaps? It it would really vary. Um, some were, were socially affluent, or not socially, uh, some were financially affluent, mm. but um, the majority of what it looks to be financially affluent is not necessarily the truth. Mm. A lot of our, our single detached homes, at least in North America, and I can speak specifically of Calgary, is that they they may look nice, but they are so far away from anything that matters mm. that you will pay less money for something that looks nice. Right. Like that cookie-cutter aesthetic. Yeah. But it's far from any amenities or place of social yeah. inclusion. Yeah, and they yeah. might have community associations. Most of them do. Mm. Um, or they have attached community associations, like almost conglomerated yeah. with a couple other 
surrounding communities. Yeah. But typically, the even the street patterns of it don't encourage walking. They mm. don't encourage uh, a lot of kids to be able to walk around. They're built primarily for cars, for convenience yeah. of driving. Yeah. And so if yeah. you are getting into your vehicle from your house that looks the same as mm. everyone else's, and you drive maybe 20 kilometers. Yep. To get to your job, which is how it is in a lot of North American cities, you you drive to downtown or surrounding areas to work, yeah, and then you work in your mm. in your at your job, yeah, and you're not expected to socialize in the way that maybe is most necessary for for social cohesion and social just just gratification generally for your mental health. Mm. Then you drive home, yeah, and when have you talked to a person about how what your hopes and dreams are mm, when have mm. you actually talked to a human being about what matters yeah yeah that's yeah. very interesting i, I yeah. think th these kind th this tragic lack of um community cohesion and cohabitation like it's just ripe sowing grounds for these kind of cults right because they almost supersede that natural human interaction that should have been there all along mm -hmm. mm. Yes, 100%. It it creates a community within someone's home that might be in your neighborhood. Mm, mm, yeah. Yes. That's right. But also through through the, the hope that you'll financially be be better off and you won't have to possibly, this is, this is speculation now, possibly that you would not have to struggle as much to pay the mortgage of the house in the place where you live because you can't afford to live closer to your job, mm. thus making you more socially isolated. Right. So basically it's yeah. an incentive yeah. system. You've got your social incentive of having some kind of community to congregate with mm -hmm. in somewhere that's familiar, a familiar neighborhood or home style. And mm -hmm. then you have that financial incentive. Mm -hmm. The gap is being filled, you know, to pay off this credit card debt or that mortgage or something like that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. And when I looked at many of these most of the the multi-level marketing schemes the business cults a lot of the the people who were interested in this were young couples mm. who were trying to make it who maybe just got a mortgage or are thinking about having a family yeah or people who are already have children and they're trying to find ways to supplement this new expense because kids mm. are very expensive or stay-at-home moms Hmm. Stay-at-home moms are a huge component of this demographic, and I I believe it's because they are whatever they had to do, whatever kind of community they had before, because they were at bare minimum going to work and still interacting with people. That was completely gone when they had to stay at home because of the hmm. way that our communities are designed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's so. All it does seem to go back to that the root cause is a lack of social interaction and the cult kind of offers a convenient solution to that and i wonder whether people probably unconsciously are using the cult for that very purpose and the kind of the money aspect is secondary almost although that's consciously the primary thing i yeah. think that when it comes to when it comes to stay-at-home moms or single moms i yeah. i believe that it it's so intertwined with gender and financial stability that they they can't be they can't be separated they are so intertwined mm. in order to be financially in order to be independent like they once were mm. i think that oftentimes 
the the role of a stay-at-home mom doesn't necessarily allow that and that's that's okay if that's something that you choose to do and that's something you want to do mm. and within this setting i i do know that i like i believe that this is the reason why so many single moms or stay-at-home moms join is because they need some sort of quick fix to get their kids through and some sort of purpose mm. that they don't have that they they haven't maybe even talked to adults yeah depending on how old the kids are yeah and yeah. so long and they, if they are with a partner, maybe they don't feel like they can add as much to the relationship. They feel like they're almost like sucking from the relationship. They don't have that equality as yeah. well. Because the financial disparity between the genders are so high. Yeah. 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 yeah that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think, I think you've also got, you can never discount, you know, the boredom aspect, you know, sort of the, uh, yeah. the Valium addicted stay at home mum. This is like a, a sort of a newer more co socially cohesive version of Valium. Yeah, hashtag wine mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, the wine moms, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's... Mommy needs a little bit of, little bit of uh, Pinot to get through the day. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, at around noon or one o'clock. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I, def I definitely feel like you've got your boredom and also the the, the allure of financial success yeah. um, carries with it, well, well, then I'll attract more people yeah. around me, then I will perhaps, that will perhaps lead to more exciting experiences yeah. and... And, and you know groupings to to you know new peoples that mm -hmm. I could I can meet. So I suppose there's a whole ring of in incentives that yeah. would come with joining a business call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and like mm. maybe like I'm a stay-at-home mom, and maybe I can have it all. Mm. Maybe I don't have to live this way. Yeah, you maybe know? I could be different from the other stay-at-home moms. Yeah, that have just turned to say wine or you know Valium or or daytime TV. Yes, and maybe I can actually be involved in something bigger than me. Yes. Mm. Which again, if you want to be a stay at home mom, like you are doing the hardest damn job that has ever been created. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if you're a stay at home parent, like that, mm. that's a hard ass job. Oh yeah. So not yeah. to like, you know, poo poo all over people who stay at home with their kids. Like that's, that's incredible. Yeah. And also within these, these certain social barriers that we have created particularly with our infrastructure i this is this is what happens like the, the truth is is that there isn't enough social interaction within our communities mm, and this mm. social cohesion allows for for things like cults and also depending on the area it can also allow for higher crime mm, mm. Um, if you don't know your neighbors there's yep. a chance that mm. people could get away with certain things yeah oh certainly more often. Yeah. yeah the transient neighborhoods are often the ones where crime gets most unnoticed you know, and most you know unreported crimes, increases in crimes. But yeah, definitely, definitely not to uh, to pass any judgment on stay-at-home mums. I mean, it's more, it, you know, not that the job of a stay-at-home mum or stay-at-home dad is any lesser than a normal nine-to-five. It's more the the social exclusion that may come with that mm -hmm. that could trigger, you know, the um, the allure of joining a business cult. <laughs> yeah, 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 and it that wasn't always the case um, in terms of demographics, like a. A lot of a lot of the demographics in business cults were skewing female, or uh, or couples, particularly Christian couples. But the in other in other cultish meetings that I have been to, and uh, little yeah, other cultish meetings that I have been to, I have noticed that there have been quite a variation in demographic too. Mm. And I think. Again, that, that doesn't necessarily speak to gender, but I, I think it, it very much speaks to just the general lack of social cohesion that we have 
overall in mm-hmm. North American cities yep. because of the way that we've developed our cities, because of the way we've imagined that we should come together. Yeah. And particularly yeah. in places like Calgary, mm-hmm. um, because um, for, for the benefit of listeners who haven't been to, to Calgary or Western Canada, um, there are a lot of parallels to be drawn with cities like Phoenix, Dallas, Las Vegas, outside of the Strip, that would be, but, you know, these, these sort of big sprawling areas um, where there's very little interaction with other humans. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, on, Andre and I, in terms of when, when we were studying geography at university, um, definitely looked into some of these imagined outcomes, you know, particularly through, like, the Frank Lloyd Wright School mm. um, of Architecture, you know, sort of massive open spaces where where car is king, yeah. um, very low density, low rise, not very walkable at all. Yeah. And there's an incredible benefits to that. You know, if you are um, lucky enough to have your own space, yeah, um, and a and a strong network um, with with a lot of rapport. But f- for newcomers or for people perhaps with social issues, you know, these are very unfriendly yeah. spaces in terms of imagining, you know, freedom or realizing your dreams. Yeah, mm. which is is a very interesting way to put that because specifically I, I think in Canada too, less so less so, so than America, but in Canada there is a focus on freedom, particularly in Alberta. Mm. Alberta is te- the Texas of Canada. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll, I've always seen, and some people would find this controversial, but I've, I've found Alberta more American than some American states I've been to. Like I, I find it more in terms of like it's it's tax system, the cars people drive, the way people act. I find it more American than parts of New England. That hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jen, if that offends you. Uh, I know Canadians never like being compared to Americans, but no, I, I sincerely give my think that part opinion. of the, the Canadian identity is just not being American. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit like Scotland. Scotland and England have a similar relationship. Like, yeah, Scot. A lot of Scottish people don't like to be called British or. You know, and you know, to call them English accidentally is sacrilegious. Mm. <laughs> Jen, I, I just wanted to ask because I suppose the cults you've been involved in, at least the sense I'm getting here, is that they were quite covert and secrecy was very much part of the marketing tactic. Um, and so, but there's also in tandem, and I suppose in the last sort of five, ten years, there's been a real rise in sort of the pseudo guru or fake guru phenomenon, right? You so see, that's overt marketing on the platforms the likes of YouTube, right? Where it's all about like self-improvement, financial freedom, passive income, all that rubbish, yeah. that bandwagon. And you've seen a, a massive uptick in that kind of in the overt platforms and talking about it very openly. And a lot of those have kind of been characterized by cults. And now kind of, kind of, have you seen the overt marketing on these platforms kind of coincide with a rise in covert secret, these kind of cults where you're kind of interacting in person and it's not so much done via software well i think that a a big part of i think a lot of it too has to do with social media and this idealization of Mm. what life should be like Mm. like if we're if we're not Mm. talking about the infrastructure we're just talking about marketing it's it's very it's about living your best life and the best life usually involves buying products yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, and only the products can make you live your best life and if you just bought this yoga mat to do more yoga yeah yeah and like signed up for these classes that like this particular person this almost idol Mm. is running then then you'll be happy yes 
then yeah. you'll be happy. Yeah, and, and, mm. but there's almost like personalities, a bit almost exactly like you've got on a cult, uh, the, the cults you've described, but almost on a maybe not even a bigger scale because I've not really looked into some of the cults you mentioned, but almost the built around a personality, yeah. mm. around a charismatic or powerful personality like Dan Locke. I don't know if you've heard of him on YouTube, um, like Dan Pena. Yeah, Dan Pena. <laughs> yeah, a great hero of ours. Yeah. Uh, but the London Real, like yeah. all of these pseudo gurus, uh, who are either sort of marketing ways of getting rich quick, either via e-commerce or drop shipping, that that craze. And there's, there's also, interestingly, in power a rising tendency of some mini channels like Coffeezilla, which literally debunk these guys and sort of dissect their marketing tactics and look at the ways they're manipulating their audiences into getting into these mm-hmm. um, sort of, I suppose, pseudo uh, courses that actually bring you no value at the end of the day. It's all about just kind of getting you hooked on this drip feed of information. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, if you get this seminar, then you're onto this seminar and you're like level eight now and it's just level 10, you're going to get the secret, whatever yeah, it is. You'll be diamond level. Yeah. Yes. yes. And it's a <laughs> platinum. I client. think was it was it the Dan Lock one you mentioned, Andre, where like there there was almost like a circle you were getting to. It was like and then you'd had to pay more in money and time to reach an inner circle and there was an inner inner circle. Yeah. And yes. then Yeah, inner inner circle. There Very were like similar. these layers, and, and, these onion like layers of the cult and then when you right. got to the core of it, like the final secret revealed was just something really vague like work hard, be good at sales. Like, <laughs> it was just something so it was exactly buy my ridiculous. snacks it was exactly yeah buy, buy my crackers yeah. yeah oh gosh and it was quite tragic like there were people who were you know maxing out three credit cards and they were still like crying their eyes up because they couldn't get the black band for the, for the inner circle they're like i can't do it this is gonna solve all my problems yeah, yeah there were people blowing like 20 grand really believe that yeah so yeah as i was saying um i think in tandem with all of these pseudo gurus on platforms like YouTube coming to the fore and having a lot of success, there's also this almost the internet's immune system in that you have channels popping up that are debunking these fake gurus and kind of showing up these gurus for who they really are. And um, one of these channels, I'll we put it in the description actually, Leo, is called Coffeezilla and he's quite a um, articulate guy, goes into and speaks to people who have gone deep into these cults and not gone deep kind of on the surface level and but, but but spent copious amounts of money i mean this one guy i think who got into the dan lock cult um spent something like forty thousand dollars and which was essentially his life savings and that was you know that wasn't that was over and above his life savings that he actually went deep into credit card debt and there were stupid things like they were inviting him to the like the grand hire in new york and creating this illusion of plenty and just living a lifestyle but ultimately the content when it came down push came to shove and the crux of what was being given is value it was nothing beyond you could something you could get from a, a good self-help book and so yeah it's really interesting to see these interviews and it, it, it takes a lot of courage i mean for these people to come forward and speak forthrightly about their experiences because for them it's a it's, it's a massive embarrassment right and because they shun their friends their family to get into this cult and now they're basically having to say the last two three years of my life were a complete waste of time and money yeah i mean i would actually have respect for someone who came forward and you know admitted that it was a a mistake um because they're Mm. also doing a social service by telling people don't get involved with this proposition it is just a cult Mm -hmm. absolutely and i think that's how he justified it to himself in the end is like if it stops one more person from doing making the mistakes i did then it's worth it yeah 
mm-hmm. definitely. And it's interesting because this this intertwines with, um, you know, what Jen was mentioning before about social exclusion, in as a result of, I suppose, individualistic or atomized urban planning. Because um, a lot of us, um, you know, in many aspects of our lives take that and resort to spending more time on the internet and you sort of have you know the you know the if anyone's read the book bowling alone and now that's all about the the growth of technology and the internet has made made people more atomized um from their friends and family um humans are naturally communicative warm individuals um we require some sense of social community um and I yeah. think this is interesting because this is also where social media steps in. I mean, in many ways, social media is a cult as well. Um, on a on a broader scale, with more efficacy, it's um, you know it is something that if if you're not part of it, um, you are excluded from many activities and and groups and and linkages in your network. Um, and I, I can I yeah. can say that from firsthand experience with social media. Um, yeah. And that, and it's also a tool to advertise these, um, you know, these pyramid schemes or these these multi-level marketing organizations. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean the side effects of all of this marketing, whether it is fake gurus or something that's genuinely interesting, one way or another, it has very little time to grab your attention or a five-second window when it comes to a YouTube ad or whatever that is on a feed on Facebook or Instagram. But essentially what it does is it's very gradually chipped away at our attention spans to the point of where I can wholeheartedly say I do not have the attention span I had 10 years ago. Mm. No. Like, <laughs> the, 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 just scrolling through a feed mindlessly, I think, is unfortunately an experience we can all relate to all too easily. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, and the, the messages that you get there, it's, uh, it's almost automatic. Like You just accept them as they are. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And you feel awful after it as well. You don't feel like you no. actually gained anything or got any value out of it. It's just literally just time wasted. You just draining. need to like get one more Candy Crush, one more. Just one more. <laughs> just one more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So then true. I'll finally reach the pinnacle. I'll be double diamond. You'll be double diamond platinum <laughs> member. <laughs> There's another level, <laughs> but but there's also another tactic I've really been really interesting. Obviously, there's like the long form conversations that this guy Coffeezilla on YouTube kind of has with these people who've been deep into the cult, spent a lot of money, wasted a lot of time, and then there's the other guys who kind of go down the humor route. And one guy kind of does this entrepreneur bingo, and essentially it's kind of ticking off one after another the typical marketing formula tactics used by these fake gurus kind of one of them is like the one time only offer this is the one seminar you can get this and whether it like the form of that um conversation with the guru would be or the fake guru is the webinar or seminar or in physical or virtual but it's always like the one time only offer um promoting like a future event is another one and funnily enough, another one that's typically used is the price ends in a seven. So because nine 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 ninety nine is or so $999 is, is, is too much. Yeah. 995 is too cheap, but 997 damn, that's oh, a Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's like, I, I mean, yeah. from like a sales background, they were always going on about the the Goldilocks principle in pricing, mm. you know, sort of the yes. um, the price or the digit that will trigger a positive response from the consumer um yeah that's that's crazy you've you've also got sort of 
really basic like sales 101 fear and greed there which are like usually the two motivations you've got your fear of miss one time one, yeah, exactly. yeah exactly like this is your one time to seize this opportunity or your life's going to be a failure <laughs> yeah 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 and then there's also bonus stacking right at the end which is kind of like that's the slam dunk where you're kind of like you're getting all of this but then i'm going to include the instagram masterclass i'm going to include the copyright copywriting formula yeah. accelerate your year course and the e-commerce supercharger method <laughs> like all typically normally this would be ten thousand. i'm going to give it you tonight just tonight for 800 and you're like wow that's incredible yeah the value you're and, getting uh, there yeah. yeah it's it's called um bonus stacking and there's always like this bullshit backstory typically as well where you kind of emotionally engaged they came from hardship yeah. mother died it's all usually made yeah. up and it's full of it's basically intended to pull on your heartstrings <laughs> and look at the journey you could potentially go on as well and i wonder jen if you can relate to some of this if not all of it yeah i mean it all sounds like a country song so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good good old berta but um the uh it, yes i i would say that it it is very much a narrative that they are selling you. It's not the numbers. It's not, it's not about anything concrete. It is a story which they want you to believe and they want you to continue the story as well. That's what it is. Mm. And, but they prescribe meaning to numbers that I don't think are, they're inconsequential. And I don't think that yeah. people have as much financial literacy or, or they're willing to believe this story so badly because they they really need a way out, or they need a they need some sort of savior to try to get through hard financial times, that they they don't pay attention to what is actually being said and what is actually being told to them. I don't I don't know if you've um this is a bit of an aside, but I I know uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this book called The Grapes of Math. No. No, no. it's a no. really really neat book, and it's written by this guy who did a lot of marketing research for a, a couple of companies, but he, he basically, he looks at uh, how we as a society, or even as a species, even broadly, look at numbers and assign meaning to numbers. Mm. And Interesting. One, one of the, the most, I think, cognizant, not cognizant, like the, like the most interesting parts of this book was when they started, or when he talked about KFC's 11 herbs and spices. And how it's a story that mm. they're that you are you're telling. You're talking about eleven herbs and spices. Yep. How it's all kind of secret. But the reason why it feels like a secret is because he theorizes that there are ten fingers on the human hand. Or oh, on both. That would be freaky. <laughs> Twenty fingers. Yeah. Twenty <laughs> digits on on both hands. <laughs> yeah. So in all, yeah. we have yeah. we have ten fingers. Um, and if you have a number 11, it's something past the human finger count. It seems almost mystical and unattainable. Ah, yeah. And secret and also maybe even godly. And so when you have 11 herbs and spices, uh, with KFC there, once they started to market that, it was like their sales just completely skyrocketed. Yeah. Because it, it seemed like something to believe in. Because 10 is such a familiar number as yeah. well in many other areas. And, you know, your divisible by 10 is very important in, when you're learning mathematics. So, like, mm -hmm. 11 is, it does inspire, like, that sort of mystical curiosity. Yeah. Like, oh, that's even better. It's almost, you know, it's like turn it up to 11 yeah. on the amplifier. Exactly. 
Um, yes, it's it's you know. one better than ten. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like I've got ten. Well, I've got eleven. Yeah. And it's just like. Yeah. Got the X factor. Whatever you've got, that plus one is what I have. Yeah, and it's yeah. also. <laughs> it's like kids. I've I, I whatever you say plus one. <laughs> Infinity plus one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I win. You know. Yeah. It's like it's still like um. It's also a prime number too. Eleven. Eleven. Yeah. Ah, yes. Which makes yeah. it possibly harder to conceive. Yeah. It makes it almost more unique and, yeah, more sort of a standalone yeah. um, number, something that should be sought after. Yeah. Mm. And so mm. when it comes to, I did notice some numbers being thrown around within these business cult meetings of the various ones that I've been to. And I, I mean, like, I, I am just astoundingly poor at math. <laughs> I, I will not say that is my strong suit, but I, I do know with a bit of critical thinking that the numbers did not align. They didn't make sense. It was almost, the numbers themselves were the story. It, it, they weren't telling us data. Hmm. They were telling us a story using the numbers that I don't think they thought about this as, as deeply, but that has a societal association with meaning. Hmm. And when you say the numbers, how were these numbers placed? Like, what, where were these used, these numbers? I mean, they're all kind of... They were written down on, on a board, mm. or they were just spoken aloud and quickly moved on from. Okay. Because, again, it wasn't, it wasn't about the actual economics of how you would do well within this business cult. It was, well, you see, there is an increase. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. You know? So, again, even the numbers themselves were incredibly vague. Yes. In your successes. Yes. You'd be like, well, we can't tell you exactly how much you'll improve, just that you will improve. We've had a fifty mm, yeah. percent increase on one dollar. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. We could have yeah. a fifty percent increase on like twelve thousand dollars and you'd be making a lot more money. But it was all very vague. Mm. They just mm. they they thrown mm. they had been throwing around percentages. Again, it's like how you present the data yes. to tell a story. Yeah. Right, and and that's where where it becomes distortionary. Yeah. I think um, almost that vagueness serves as a smokescreen, and a bandwidth is therefore allowed for the person being indoctrinated's imagination essentially to run wild, and kind of their best tool is your imagination against yourself. Mm -hmm. mm. Yes, mm. absolutely. Mm. Yeah, so like, what do you think you can achieve? Don't you want to be the best you that you can be? Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Only you can so, decide. So the, 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 yeah, they almost give you like the potential to imagine all the amazing potentials of following through with this course. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of, your own imagination does the work for them. Yeah, yeah it's I sort suppose. of the, you know, the human sense of wonder and pioneering spirit that's in everyone's minds, really, of... Um, mm. I think it's very empowering as well for a lot of people because it's almost like they're not fully giving you the answers. And because they're not doing that, you feel like you're in the driver's seat. You are, mm -hmm. it's not a cult, like you are the one who's achieving these things. And and that illusion of being empowered is what keeps people basically ruining their lives and spending their money and time mm -hmm. on these things. Yes, yeah, and even creating even more social incohesion than there was before because suddenly... I know that this this happens uh, with legitimate businesses versus non Ill illegitimate businesses, mm. where the the business cult participant will say, "Well, why don't you insert person here? Mm. 
support my business and my dream and my future, Hmm. this is the only way it can happen. Yeah. Yeah. But in doing so, like take a lot of money from the people that they love and almost emotionally, even unintentionally, emotionally Hmm. manipulate them into participating in their business cult. Yeah. While at the same time, delegitimizing actual small businesses. Mm, mm, yeah. Because it becomes a it becomes a line that becomes blurred between knowing what is actually true. Yep. Yeah. And that comes at the expense yeah. of small enterprises that are actually providing goods yeah. and services that yeah. are good for society. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I think when you come out the back, especially if you've gone very deep into a cult and spent your life savings on um, a cause or an idea, I suppose you, you come out very disoriented in terms of your compass and kind of wears up, works mm. down. And yeah. you're, again, coming out of an experience like that, I suppose, vulnerable to almost fall into the same trap. Yeah. 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 I know that it, I... The anecdote that I'm about to say is it's exactly that. Like, it, I have... um. Someone that I used to know that got out of a an MLM, a multi-level marketing scheme, aka business cult, and they they didn't know what to do with their lives because they felt such such meaning and belonging that in this business cult and but they couldn't continue it because of course, you know, it it's not sustainable unless you're at the very top. Mm. And they were looking for that almost more so afterward, and they ended up getting involved in a in a legitimate cult, like a, I mean, they're all legitimate cults, yeah. business cults, but like a, a really, really scary one, okay. <laughs> actually. A hardcore cult. Very hardcore, yes. Um, and that person I have not heard from in years. So it's, Gosh. yeah. That's scary. <laughs> so I, I think we've almost spoken about, well, there's arguably sort of three characteristics that define a cult. One we've already spoken about, which is Guru as this almost um, entity or deity to be worshipped and this figurehead that's often sort of in the clouds somewhere and not very clear. <laughs> Two, another one is the, the sort of thought reform characteristics, so systematic indoctrination sort of, and that's also characterised and in parallel with self-criticism and almost a ritual of confession. I was wondering, Jen, if you'd seen any of that sort of the thought reform and self-criticism and then confession to the people in the group Jen, Jen smiling as if to say yes I've seen that a thousand times I've done oh, it been man. there got the t-shirt so got the mug as well oh, lost man. all my savings well this is this example it's I'll, I'll keep it very quick just so you know I have many of these cult stories but this one in particular is quite egregious um in my in my previous educational experience, I had a, a project that I wanted to bring um, bring to light that I wanted to complete, and I wanted to get the backing of my student association. And so I, I went to them and looking, looking for funding, essentially. And uh, they said, oh, well, you should talk to this specific staff member at the university. They can, they, they're doing a similar project. They might be able to point you in the right direction. Go talk to that person. And so I said, yes. Okay, great. So I went and talked to the the staff person, and they invited me to a meeting. And I'm like, ah, oh, this can't be. This isn't what I think it is. Just in denial. Hmm. And uh, the staff person uh, told me to go to this this um, hotel for this meeting, which I mean, I maybe this was a a bit 
foreshadowing what would happen, but I had to bike through a graveyard <laughs> to get there. Oh, it's already dark. <laughs> it was already dark. It was a dark Canadian February graveyard. Uh, <laughs> Brr, chilly. Very cold. My favorite. Like, I think it was minus 30. And so we... Oh, God. <laughs> and so I, I get there and um, this the staff member said she was going to meet me there, but she, she was running very late. And so I had to go in there on my own. And um, I someone meets up with me and they say, are you Jen? And I say, yes, yes, I'm Jen. And they ask me to give like my phone number and like address. And I knew better, so I didn't. And uh, they led me into this room and there were over a hundred chairs in this basement in, in this hotel. Mm. Quite a prominent hotel here in Calgary too. And we, every single person that was in there, there's maybe like 50, 60 people. Yeah. Every single person in that entire room knew who I was. What? What? And they were all welcoming you and yes. shaking your hand and saying, They're like, oh my gosh, hey Jen. you're Jen. Mm. We've heard so much about you. Mm. We've heard that this, oh my God. this staff member. It's like a horror film. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's like something from a, yeah, it's like a, sort of a being John Malkovich sort of uh, weird situation there, like a Twilight Zone-esque. Yes. Like everyone knows who you are and it's almost like you're in your own dream. Yes. You know, you're meeting all these strangers and blurry faces, but they all know who you are. Yes. That's bizarre. And they, they were talking about how much this staff member was, like she, I had only known her a week mm. and she apparently had told them all that I'm a shining light and that I am like a gift yeah. And like, finally, like, she's so excited for me to come here. And so all these people were saying that, like, oh, yes, we're expecting big things from you. And Gosh. But uh, I had been invited to this, this get together in the hopes that someone would, you know, want to give me finances. Yeah. For this project of mine. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was, I was there under the guise that uh, I would get to meet some, some very rich people who had money to give me. <laughs> yeah. For this specific project. But it turned out they wanted your money. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So what ended up happening was that I sat down um, and this uh, someone came to the front and they started this meeting. At this time, there they were every seat was full, and they introduced themselves. Everybody introduced themselves, um, and then this woman said, "Yes, I want to just welcome Jen here." And everyone turns around and is clapping and is like, "Ooh, yes, yeah, Jen." Yeah. Yes, um, it's an entire room wow. of people clapped for me, god. and <laughs> oh my god, standing ovation. Well done for being Jen. And you've only been there one minute. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, um, and then and then ensued the personal testimonials. People got up on stage. I think I think it was like ten people. Mm. They got up on stage and started weeping in front of everybody about how much this has helped them and yeah, how how great whatever the heck this was. Yeah. Is. Yeah. And, uh, Again, was it incredibly cryptic about, you know, what it was they were even yes. talking about? Yes. Okay. And I was thinking, well, maybe I'll just sit through this weird meeting. Like, this is absolutely a cult, but, you know, maybe they have money anyway. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, hanging on, <laughs> hoping out for the money. I love it. Just, like, it, you get the light bulb moment. Yep, this is a cult, <laughs> but I'm going to sit out. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is a, a senior staff member at my university. Mm. So you know uh <laughs> that's that's bizarre like the the welcoming would have really really not sat right with me that would have been really alarming cuz that sort of i suppose 
you know, coming back to the incentive thing, because we're talking about what your incentives are, and that's like the ego massage technique, isn't it? It's like, oh, you've only been here five minutes, but you're now so integral to our organization. Mm -hmm. You're so, you know, you, you will be the poster child. You are a, a beacon and we all love you. You are special. You're special, yeah. yeah. You're unique and you, you really can't go anywhere or else this organization just won't be the same without you. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so after all these testimonials, I realized that this, uh, this staff member had actually slipped in and they were about to stop the testimonials. It's like... But uh, the staff member raised her hand and said, yes, I, I, can, I can speak. Mm. So I thought she was going to go up there and do the same thing, but she just starts going on about how great I am mm. to everybody, but never once men mentions the project that I was working on. Not even once. And so I sit through this, this thing. I think it started at 7, and it, I was there. I was wait in that room hoping that I would get introduced to someone and like we'd all get up and chat. I was there until 10, just sitting. Yeah. And then after that, they asked, is anyone new here? And I raised my hand and three other people raised their hand or maybe like five. I don't, it doesn't matter. Just a couple. And they, we all came into the, they, they took us out of that room full of all the presumably, <laughs> like presume, like presumably they're all investors, but mm. maybe not. And they, <laughs> uh, they put us into a different room and thus began a therapy session. What? Yeah. Like a group yeah. therapy, okay. Yes, and at the end of the session, it was revealed that only two people were actually new, and the other people were almost placed there to look like they're new. What? So that they could make sure that we, we bought some yeah. ticket to a seminar. That, I think it was $1,300. What? Yeah. So they were like almost uh, mystery shoppers. Yeah. But they were just place there how did you okay. find out they were fake newbies well they started to set up the table at which i would buy things from them <laughs> that was a giveaway oh, right <laughs> you seem a bit too familiar yeah. with this yeah you can seal this very well you're doing an inventory count of all of our goods <laughs> like, yeah. yeah aren't you supposed to be new? <laughs> yeah so um you know it, it it does run on testimonial it does run on emotion it does run on on narrative mm. And it, it runs on, on personal growth more than anything. Yeah. And well-being. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think that that's, that incentive keeps people stuck on it, even, even if they perhaps did become successful in another way. Um, a friend of mine always had the analogy of a raft, and, and he was um, a defected member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and this isn't to trash AA in any way, because... I think AA is a program that's certainly helped a lot of people with alcohol and drug problems. But then what this this friend of mine always said is that there was a, a very culty dimension to it. And the raft analogy was that, okay, so on one side of the river lies alcoholism, and then on the other side is um, freedom from that and sobriety, sobriety essentially. And th this is a parallel to be made with, okay, you're in financial and social ruin. On the other side of the river is financial and social success. You get on the raft and presumably you're supposed to be getting from one side to the other and getting off the raft. The raft goes back. New people come on that to make their journey, their odyssey through that. But the issue is with cults like the one you described, and this is what my friend was always getting at with the AA, which is why he left, is that people never get off the raft. 
so it gets to the other side of the river it's like you made it you're sober time to live your life and get on with your own life and all your new relationships but you you can't get off that raft because you're you're so fused with it you're so intertwined you've put either so much money into it or you've left behind other friends that weren't a part of it which you now see as spiritually or financially unwell so that raft suddenly yeah. becomes very crowded with thousands and millions of people that are, are too afraid to leave right yeah you almost like formed bonds with the people on the raft on the way and forgot about the cause on the journey exactly yeah exactly or the, sorry the, the 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 purpose right why you were on the raft in the first place and you're like ask ah, it you guys seem cool i'm sticking with this <laughs> yeah, you go into the frobisher and you realize you're in the hudson bay yeah yeah <laughs> nice canadian reference there <laughs> when i when i've seen i i can kind of relate to that in, in a completely different dimension um when i saw a psychologist about sort of my health anxiety i remember although i was feeling a hell of a lot better than i was at the beginning of the sessions um there there was an, almost an addictive aspect to it of unloading your problems with this person who was willing to sit there and listen and there was almost a, a pleasantness about the therapy in and of itself as opposed to and almost like finding the cure although obviously that was why i was there mm. it, it wasn't so overwhelming that i would be willing to pay for more but um because the primary reason why i was there was sort of and the the problem has been solved but i can see the alluring aspect to something like that and the process of therapy and the attention you get from others mm -hmm. and the voice i suppose you're afforded when you speak in a group like aa yeah you're, you're given a voice and you're given a platform like you were jen when you arrived and suddenly you're you know you're hollywood you're famous everyone wants to meet you and that's a really nice feeling so it's it's kind of like the objective along the way gets muddled and distorted and it doesn't become about the goal of okay this this group or this program has helped me become a better more healthy person is the objective is now i cannot leave this i mm -hmm. need to stick and cling to this because i've left everything else in my old life behind mm -hmm. yeah you, you almost you, you put your roots down too deep and forgot about the goal in, in the first place mm -hmm. and i think that works quite well in north america because something uh, i've observed is people live so many lives out here you know, you, you have someone who's like, okay, for like a few years I was a cop and then I was um, a pet store owner and then I was this or that and then I, I started this business um, and then... Have you heard of the business? Yeah, well, yeah, have you heard of the business? Here you go. So, yeah, it's like everyone, you know, I think it's quite common to meet people who've lived so many different lives um, in North America and I think that's why the, the cult mentality has, has really taken hold here. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost a, an identity to struggle and to mm. hustle. Mm. Mm. Like hustle culture is really a deep part of this. Yeah. Yeah, Andre and I have had a lot of discussions on this, how like, you know, in, in North America, particularly in the US, everyone's hustling. Everyone's got a side hustle on. Or like, oh, Wednesday night, I'm with this group or that group. And yeah, that l very much lends itself to, to the success of cult-like behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I almost saw it as, you know, there's almost a need to be busy and hustling one way or another. Mm. Uh, ideally, many streams in parallel, right? Because that's the best. The busier you are, the better you are and all that. And it's kind of, it doesn't afford you clear headspace where you can actually just look at things, just quiet, just space where there's nothing to do. I think people are almost afraid of that because they've, they're afraid of what they'll find inside mm. where you just have silence and there's nothing to do. I think that that's quite a scary idea to a lot of people in the modern world. 
Did you just solve the mystery why people talk to me in the park? <laughs> <laughs> We've gone like completely full circle here. There's an Ouroboros there. Completely. Ouroboros. <laughs> yeah, perhaps that is why they see they see someone who is not hustling. I'm not a hustler. Unless you talk about climbing hills on my bike. But <laughs> but I, I'm not. I'm not a hustler. Um, and perhaps they see someone sitting in the park actually enjoying themselves and it gives them pause too. And it's in only in those moments that they get those needs that we have innately fulfilled. Mm. Yeah. Quite possibly. Yeah. Mm. Or they like my bike. Yeah. Or they <laughs> like your bike, Jen. Maybe they yeah. just... Tell me about attracted this bike. to the material the goods second you time own. you've mentioned it now, is it like one of these chopper bikes from the 70s? I want to know. <laughs> you know, it's it's a pretty unassuming bike, but it has... Uh, <laughs> Innocuous bike. It is. Well, it's clearly not, because you've mentioned it. <laughs> it is It is my, my pride and joy. It is my son. It is my son. No, I... <laughs> it, it's com- <laughs> I'm joining the bike cult. <laughs> yeah, I've done all this research just to learn how I can be the leader. <laughs> and if you pay $1,300, Andre, you too can, can join the bike cult. You too can finance my next ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, it, it's, it's just a, it's a typical bike. It's a Trek bike. It's the Toyota of bikes, you know, reliable, yeah. dependent. Reliable. Yeah, yeah. Find parts for it all over the world. Yep. But it, uh. Good longevity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I love my bike because it's what got me into urban planning in the first place. Because mm. I started to bike around and notice the the incohesion and the infrastructural challenges that sprawling North American cities face and our dependency on cars and what that means for for people of all ages and even just the attitudes that were that were presented against me for for cycling like it's almost like um it's a status symbol it's not almost like a status symbol it is a status symbol if you don't drive you mm. are not a full fledged adult. You don't have as much legitimacy. You haven't made it yet. Mm. You're not as free. Um, you don't have, yeah. You you just you don't have choice. Social capital. I'd it say. is one hundred percent social capital, which I think mm. is, I mean, with the pandemic happening and and at least in Alberta, there being a complete and utter bike shortage now. Like if you told me this last year that there'd be a bike shortage in Alberta, a year from now. I would have laughed at your in your face, <laughs> mm, mm. you know, um, mm. because suddenly people had nowhere to go within their cars, and they realized that their their mob- like prisons of mobility have shrunk immensely, mm-hmm. and they had to actually experience the the neighborhoods that they live in, and actually experience how hard it is to live within these sprawling neighborhoods that don't have walkable areas, and the only way to actually accommodate that is by cycling. Yeah, yeah. And so for for years, people, even my own family members, would call me crazy for biking everywhere, even though it's actually in, in I'd say half. I think it's great. Thank you. Half uh, yeah. the circumstances, it's faster and it's better for me. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think, you know, the, the environmental gains. Pioneering. Yeah, definitely. Because in, in Europe, you know, there's a huge cycling culture. You know, in London, mm-hmm. you just see bikes everywhere. I mean, Andre and I lived in Manchester and, you know, every other person seemed to be on a bike there. Um, even even where I'm from, Milton Keynes, which you know well, um, you know, has a huge biking culture with our, our redway systems. Yeah. Um, in Calgary, it's it's amazing. You just do not see it. When you see a cyclist, yeah. you think, oh, that's a bit dangerous. 
or like is that person going to be okay yeah um riding down the highway and um yeah i feel i feel like there's a lot of um social exclusion for cyclers because as you say they just they don't carry the same social capital in a north american city um as your average driver yeah it's mm. uh colloquially thought as the poor man's last choice and the rich man's plaything and the child's toy mm. wow that's, that's a really good way of I putting mean, it yeah in europe you're certainly seeing the inversion of that in the sense that the cycling is the way to get around london mm. and it, it genuinely is quicker than a car yeah. especially when you're talking about central london zones one and two um, but it's, it's probably more widely adopted in places like Amsterdam where it is the mainstream way to get around. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's almost like there, there is definitely the beginnings, if not almost the first stage of a very real move away from cars and seeing them as almost antiquated. Mm. Mm -hmm. That actually bikes, electric bikes, hybrid bikes, which aid you with your pedaling with a bit of um, battery boost are the way to go. Mm. And that they are, and actually, a mass, you know, scooters are over here, Leah. We've got scooters, oh. you know, oh, the ones yes. that, the bird scooters from LA. And, oh, they've come over to London yeah. now. Yeah, well, people are buying them online. Oh, really? Okay. So it's not so much that there's a hiring scheme, because they're actually illegal for both the pavement and the road. You're not supposed to be using them, and technically they could fine you, but it doesn't stop people. There's a load. So people them. are just riding them all over town now. Yeah. All over town, pavement, road, you name it. That's we, called tactical urbanism. <laughs> yeah that's it that's really interesting though because we rode some didn't we jen a group a group of us yeah. um, hired some of the lime bikes mm -hmm. sorry lime scooters oh, r.i.p um, lime bikes have they that's gone a, oh yeah at least in calgary they oh, were lime here bikes. once yes yeah. the bikes yeah yeah yes but that's a whole other oh we still got them here oh oh my heart weeps <laughs> for calgary yeah <laughs> i'm very happy for you andre You'd love London's bike sharing scheme. It's it's so accessible. I remember. Well, it started with Boris bikes. Yeah, the Boris oh, bikes. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah. The Boris bike. I remember coming out of my flat in London, um, putting some, some money into the, the sharing scheme meter and then just taking a bike. There was literally one, there was one port right outside my house and there was one port right in front of my workplace. Yeah. And that's a pretty common thing for Londoners. Um, one thing I do wish there was more um, in terms of urban planning in, in North America was just more democratized bike sharing schemes and things mm -hmm. like that. You know, interestingly enough and surprisingly, Calgary is one of the the frontier towns to do such a thing. Mm. Yeah, Calgary had the dockless bike share of Lime Bikes for about a year. Mm. Uh, they were the first in the entire country to have dockless bike share mm. in the in most of the city. Of course, it's it's like Lyme where, I mean, well, the scooters, I should say. It's like the scooters where there are zones in which you can bike through. Yeah. But yeah. generally, it was it's exactly the same. Like, we were the, f the, first, the first city in the whole country to do that. But uh, there are dock, dock sh bike shares in Canada anyway, and a lot in North America, many more than you'd assume hmm. but one of the best i think i've experienced is in montreal with their i don't know how to pronounce it i think it's bc if it's french b-i-c-i bc yeah um and uh it's everywhere you you dock your bike next to the cafes and you you leave from wherever your apartment is it's it's completely citywide and it's yeah. extremely yeah. accessible and 
they have one of the best transportation systems in Canada mm. because mm. they have transportation choice. They have the ability to, to get around in whatever way works best for them. They're not stranded. And, and as such, they also have some of the best social cohesion outcomes in the country as well. Yeah. Because they're not necessarily getting from A to B in a motorized, you know, mm. living room. Unit. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So you're more likely to, I mean, I think, you know, coming, coming back to sort of the effects on people and urban planning, there's a lot of trust in that, isn't there? I mean, when, you, when you're when you sharing scooters and bikes and exchanging them and seeing people, there's a lot more trust. And there's so many af- positive effects that come from that, one of which is air quality, mm-hmm. you know. So I'd be interested to look at sort of the air quality differences in a place like Montreal compared to, say, Calgary. Yeah, I do know that um, it was it was proven that when the when when the world essentially shut down on like March 13th or something like that mm. the air quality in Calgary just improved immensely yeah and even even just like experientially like with my own experience like i i noticed it to be so much more fresh mm. yes mm. it was it was crisper it wasn't as mm. almost heavy i don't know how else to explain that yeah i think heavy's well my parents definitely noticed that in Milton Keynes and in Leicester where my dad lives I don't know if you had a similar experience in London Andre because the air quality there is not great generally speaking is it no it's bloody <laughs> awful um, <laughs> Terrible. but um, what I, I really noticed it Leo visually and it was striking mm. because I came out of one of the stations I think it was Park Royal you know the place we used to go to the city yeah yeah Park, Park Royal yeah. yeah so it's kind of on a hill there and you've got a direct line of sight down to central London. So all of the skyscrapers in the city of London and it's about in a straight line, about six miles. And typically you always see a haze. And I didn't, because I was so used to the haze when I walked there, when it was the, the traffic was at its lowest volume, sort of in uh, late March, early April, mm. it was just shocking. It was like, I was looking at it through a crystal. It was, it was insane. Mm. It, and and it's it's not it's almost like I just got used to seeing that haze and that was odd oh, that was just the way it was I just the way I saw it but the horizon was just cleared and these buildings were just crisp you could see the edges you could see the glass mm. and it was like someone had put some high definition glasses on my on me mm-hmm. and it it was it was it was actually quite quite incredible yeah it's yeah. amazing and it's that is definitely one of the reasons why I have decided planning as a career because I I do know apart from the the social incohesion of the morphology of our cities and like the way that we've built our communities all in all we are facing a climate emergency and the the way that we can stop it is by redesigning our cities mm. one way anyway there are a multitude of ways but yeah it's by mm. controlling development it's one important facet controlling yeah. development controlling um land use it's it's the way that we will i believe save ourselves mm-hmm. yeah Absolutely, Absolutely. the one great cause for millennials. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Gen Zs as well. Yeah, <laughs> Gen Zs as well. Those Zoomers. Well, guys, I think we can uh, wrap up the discussion there. I think we've really come full circle. Um, it's been an excellent podcast, Jen. Thank you so much for joining this edition of Bro Bears Talk. Um, really heard some fascinating, unnerving, and interesting insights on cult behavior and how it intertwines with urban planning in North America and the world. So thank you very much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure.
Yeah, Jenny, it was absolutely enthralling. I could listen to those cult stories. I'm sure there'll be many more to come. We'll probably have you on again as a repeat guest. I absolutely love yeah, it. Yeah, I feel like we almost need a part two to to burrow deeper into some of the, some of these <laughs> other anecdotes. <laughs> sure, I'd love to. <laughs> awesome. All right, Jen, well, Great. thank you very much. Thank you, Bro Bear. Um, thank you, Bro Bear, and thank you, Jen. And thank you for everyone listening. Over and out. Over and out. Kapow. Pow.